And next here on SFM Literature in our story slot today, a documentary that tells the story of a wind farm and its blessing. I visited Jeffreys Bay Wind Farm earlier this year and I bring you Going With The Wind. blesses the Jeffreys Bay wind farm in the rain. It's the occasion of the official launch. The South African police choir is there, dignitaries from near and far, and MC Derek Watts is in full swing. Please let's give Chief Michael Williams a huge round of applause. And so the wind farm rose today. It means the Kohas stand under the tremendous roar of the lion. That's why we are called Kam the lion of the Koha. With the intros and blessings over, the chief continues. The wind farm is a blessing that was revealed through the Western way of thinking. Advanced in technology and experience. The Koha Wind Farm through that will benefit for the years to come. So who's behind this benefit, this blessing? There's a cast of thousands, literally. This, this is a private sector investment. So there's a, a lot of different parties that are bound together by a series of contracts. Our first and most important contract is, is with government itself that gave us, in a way, the license to build it and the power offtake agreement with Eskom. Then you have to think about the capital that pays for its construction and that comes from a consortium of lenders and a consortium of investors. Globalik is the lead uh, majority investor in that and another very important investor is, is Mainstream, the developer who brought this project up through the permitting stage. Then of course there's the equipment providers, Siemens, we are using Siemens turbines, one of the world leading turbine suppliers and they will continue to maintain the wind farm for the first 10 years. Then there are many, many subcontractors, local and international, who, who've assisted in, in putting this together. So it, it really is a cast of thousands. Mark Pickering, he's general manager of Jeffreys Bay Wind Farm. And the cast of thousands at the Action Pack launch included a great number from Ireland. So in Ireland uh, we have a company of about 160 people and in South Africa we have a team of 40 people here and I imagine probably 10 of those people are Irish but we have people who come here on a fairly regular basis to support our construction team during the execution of our projects. Declan Deasy is from the Irish company Mainstream Renewable Power but it was Eddie O'Connor, founder and CEO of Mainstream who had the biggest story of his own wind journey. Well, in 1989, I was running this company in Ireland, which is a peat company. It was owned by the government. It is owned by the government. 
and I was appointed chief executive there in 1987. By 1989 I realised that CO2 was destroying the planet and the environment we'd grown up in. So I tried to balance the ticket because we were big polluters. We were burning a lot of this biomass and we were releasing 10 million tonnes of CO2 to make electricity. So I built the first wind farm in Ireland in, in 1992. I tried to get the company to have a wind division and I had a wind division but I had no support from the government who were the owner. So I left that company in 1996 and set up electricity in 1997. We borrowed £25,000 and it got sold 11 years later for €1,800 million. Euros. So that was great. We built Ireland's first, well, the, the modern wind farm was, was in the year 2000. And then we went to Northern Ireland and to Scotland. Uh, we built the first offshore wind farm in the British Isles in Ireland in 2003. And then that company, Airtricity, got sold in 2008. And with the money that we made for that, we, we set up Mainstream. There's been a number of significant developments in all that process. One of them was wind has, has got a lot cheaper and more reliable. The turbine has got bigger. It's able to access higher wind speeds. The capacity factors have gone from 25 up to 40%. And solar has come along. Solar is the big game changer in the world today. It used to be five times more expensive than it is now. Oh, it used to be 30 times more expensive 20 years ago, but right now it's almost competitive with wind. It's cheaper than new coal, and it's going to get a lot cheaper. And by 2020, it'll be cheaper than wind. So how did they come to get this contract? We bid a wind price, and we have to get the wind farm built for that price. And the price that was bid in round three was 0.76 of a rand. The government has, has looked at coal and found out that Medupi and Kusile will produce coal at 0.99 rand. A lot more than that if you start including a price for the carbon. So wind is between 20% and 40% cheaper than new coal. So if you're planning a future, which South Africa has to do, you can't look to the past. You can't look and see how, how expensive or how cheap is old coal that's there for 50 years. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. If, if somebody says to you, wind is, is dearer than coal, you say, oh, okay, build me a new old coal plant then. And the minute they start putting capital cost, you know, modern risk management into place, that coal plant will be the same price as Medupi or Kusile. And so wind is 25% now cheaper without a tax on carbon. You don't get very many places in the world where you can compare new coal and new wind because there's very little new coal being built, except in China. Almost none, maybe a bit in India. And that, that's going to have to stop entirely or we just kill the planet. We're 401 parts per million in the atmosphere now, CO2. Our species emerged at 270 parts per million. We'd have breached the 450 parts per million, you know, in another 20 years. So we've got 20 years to sort ourselves out and start doing renewables. And are they working on this anywhere else in the world? We're working in Chile, where we're the biggest we're the biggest developer here, we're the biggest developer in Chile, we're the biggest independent developer offshore in, in Europe, uh, we're in the United States and Canada as well, and a little bit in Ireland. And we will be in a lot of other African countries and Latin America, Central America. So, you know, we're we're growing steadily, building roughly speaking a thousand megawatts this year and from here on in we'll be doing the same thing. Meanwhile, back in South Africa, how did it get going here? These kind of programs, renewable power projects, generally only happen where there's an enabling public policy environment. Those things often take a while to, to come to fruition. So I think the seeds of this lie in, in the energy policy that was adopted in post-apartheid South Africa, where we moved away from a policy of just focusing on energy security to a policy that had a broader set of goals, which included 
providing energy for all, most importantly, but also um, taking care of the way we do that. So the impact that energy systems have on the environment became uh, a big factor in policy. And this has had many successive stages, including our adoption as, as a country of some targets around what carbon we admit into the atmosphere. And the fact that South Africa was hosting a meeting of the Conference of the Parties in Durban in 2011 was a, a big driver behind getting this program going because we needed as a country to have something to show. So in what was probably a, a record for a government procurement process, the tender went out in August, the bids came in uh, in November and the results were announced in December in time for this conference of the parties in, in Durban. And uh, we were very pleased to emerge from that with three projects and this is one of them today. And um, yeah, it's been constructed since then in, in 18 months. Uh, Jeffreys Bay Wind Farm is one of the first very large wind farms to be built in the country and is, is presently the largest on the continent, built on time, on budget, uh, with zero safety incidents in, in the course of the construction, which is an amazing record given that you have over 700 people working on site, many of whom were first time in a large infrastructure project with no experience. So um, we're extremely proud of this outcome and, and our opportunity to celebrate it today. Sure, sure, lots to celebrate. But why here? Why this spot? Well, of course, that's the key, the key thing you look for when you want to build a wind farm is where does the wind blow? And, and you know, Port Elizabeth is known as the windy city, so it was a logical place to start looking. Then you need a good site, with, which is buildable, and you need a grid connection, which is key. And uh, we, we have a site here which has a distribution line running through it that was an easy connection. It also has the national road running through it, and, and so the major components came into the port just north of Port Elizabeth, the Kucha Airport, and came down the, the national road. So that was an easy logistics process. So all of these things lead up, up, up to a very buildable, very good wind farm. But as renewable businesses go, it's not alone. Well, this is the first, it is called bid window uh, or, or round of projects. We, we, we were from the first round and there were 27 projects from that, um, of which the, the bulk was solar. I think there were eight uh, wind projects in round one. And there's been another five or six in, in round two and round three. Uh, in all, there's 60 renewable projects that are, have been uh, awarded a license uh, so far. And there's a fourth round that's going to take place in, in August. And we'll probably see another 15 or so come out of that. And the expect expectation is government will run another round every year for the foreseeable future and perhaps even increase the allocation uh, given to renewable energy. So, yes, it's just the start. In world terms, I think South Africa ranks 12th at the moment uh, on, on the wind industry log, uh, which is not bad given that we were, <laughs> we were pretty much at zero a couple of years back. So um, we've managed to leapfrog many other countries. We're definitely the leading hotspots in Africa for wind and for solar. And um, the, the, yeah, the future is bright for this industry. Despite the optimism, though, it is an industry that's been criticised for, amongst other things, being a bit of a blight on the landscape. <laughs> well, I'm a bit biased, aren't I? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, am, I am an engineer and I see beauty in, in these structures. I certainly, uh, if I have to compare them to other forms of power generation, I do think they are a particularly graceful and non-intrusive form of power generation if you, if you think about coal mining and the kind of impact that that can have on the environment. So. 
Yes, of course, all forms of, of development and, and infrastructure will have some impact on the environment and, and it's a matter of degree. Uh, the visual impact is, is there and it, a lot really depends on the eye of the beholder, but in my view, they, they've added something to the landscape. Well, fair enough. But it's also said that the turbines themselves are a huge threat to birds. It's not true. Think of how high birds fly. I mean, th there's a definite height at which all birds fly. So the higher you go, actually, you miss the low-flying birds. And then the only thing you really have to watch out for is a migration pathway. And I've seen the eider duck, for instance, off the coast of Germany. They fly north at a certain time from Germany up towards the Arctic Circle. And they just plotted, they tagged and plotted the birds. And, and there was, they used to go in a big phalanx like that. And then there's this Horns Reef pro project like that. So they come up like that, then they go like that, and then... <laughs> and so on. So you see, birds are much cleverer than people give them credit for. They can see a wind turbine, they can hear it, and most of them choose not to commit Harry Carry. The NIMBYs are the people behind all the NIMBYs and the, and the coal and the oil industry are behind what you hear about birds, bird slaughter and that. I mean, we've all seen pictures, and I know if you build wind farm in a certain place, like there was a tarifa in Spain, it was built on a dump. And so the vultures used to feed the carrion and they'd feed on the, on, on the remains of oil dump. And then in low wind speeds, they take off very slowly. And there was actually a picture in Wind Power Monthly of a, uh, one of the vultures being hit by a blade of a turbine. But of course, if the wind is higher, they go up like that. So the solution was very simple. Don't do away with the turbine. Don't do anything like that. But don't have it come on at, at three meters a second. Have it come on at 4.5 meters a second. Now you, you lose very little production and the birds are well up there by the time that they get to the wind turbine so and there's no more vultures being killed but uh, eddie o'connor does admit that some winged creatures are vulnerable the indiana bat is a particular problem and nobody knows why they fly so close to turbines so really close to turbines and you just have to be mindful of that and not locate beside the colony of indiana bats you know nobody we're saving nature you know that's what we're doing but how are things back in ireland it's a country well known for its green rolling farmland, so is it an industry that's in demand? Indeed it is, yes. Uh, we have probably some 1,200 megawatts of wind farms installed on a 5,600 megawatt system. And we're looking to increase that penetration of renewables onto the grid all the time. So wind plays a very important role in our energy mix in, uh, in the Ireland. So you build the roads and the wind turbines are installed. Um, so there really is very little impact on the farming land. In fact, in some cases, farmers quite welcome uh, wind turbines onto the land because um, infrastructure allows them to access areas that are or their farm that previously may not have had such good access. Also, most landowners typically get a rental payment from the from the wind farm um, over the life of the project. So that generates another source of income for farmers, which allows them to invest in their livestock and in their buildings and in their, their farm infrastructure. So farmers typically do welcome it and it, it doesn't impact their ability to farm the land whatsoever. It's quite conducive. Animals sometimes like to, uh, to cozy up beside the wind turbines for shelter and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's, they quite uh, mutually coexist very happily. Well, good news was that eventually the rain stopped. And we got an opportunity to see the wind farm up close for ourselves from the safety of a bus. We started an 18-month construction program in November 2012, which is a fairly impressive turnaround time to build what is a power plant that is standing today. Leo Quinn of Mainstream giving us the running commentary. Jeffrey's Bay is a large site, 3,700 hectares of land that's comprising of eight different farmers who all uh, agreed to be part of the project and, and are signed up to the project by a, a long-term 20-year lease. And these roads are, in some places, 10 metres wide, 
and they're designed to the specific dimensions that Siemens require in order to get the abnormal loads and lorries to deliver the components in, because some of the, the trailers and the trucks involved are so very, very big. So finally we got to witness the great big sculptural blades spinning in the wind. But meanwhile, back at the launch function, the band played on. And the celebrations started winding down. In conclusion, I wish you back to the year US President Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. Critics at the time argued that he hadn't actually done anything yet to justify the award. My understanding, however, is that Obama won the award because he was able to restore hope to a nation. I believe that hope is exactly what the Jeffreys Bay wind farm and other similar developments have brought to Koha and its people. For this, I thank you. We look forward to a long and mutually beneficial relationship that will grow not only the economy of Koha, but of South Africa as a whole. I thank you. Thank you. Executive Mayor Boy Kiorat. So, will it make a difference to the people of Koha? Tabi Sawani from the local municipal Eastern Cape Development. Yes, it will impact in the sense that, first of all, the skills development, the skills that is transferred around the renewable energy to our locals, and they're not only from Koha, they are from the surrounding areas within the Eastern Cape. So, those are new skills that we never thought to tap into. So, that's number one. Number two, was to make sure that our SMMEs they position themselves for other wind farms to come or other renewable energy projects because this one was one of the first where we learned from that's the impact so it was an eye opener for the local SMME and the other thing that is important was to do a gap analysis of our capacity because when they arrived we didn't know that our skills don't match the demand. So we get to do an audit of our skills so that we can try to build on it the capacity of our local skills so that we can deal with that industry. Otherwise, if there's no human development in any economy, it won't be any economy. So the infrastructure exists because the human is there so that the human must benefit. So true skills, true enterprise development, that's where we see the impact. Mm. And will it bring in the tourists? Actually, Nancy, that's happening already. We have people stopping on, on the national road, which I really wouldn't encourage. Uh, so what we're going to do is set up a visitor centre and one will be able to pull off the national road and, and drive in and park comfortably. And we have on the ground a blade, and each of these blades, is uh, they, they look very slender up in the sky, but when they're on the ground, you appreciate just how large they are. It's 49 meters long, and it's about six meters wide at its widest point. So you'll be able to walk up and touch that and, and get a sense of it. 
and we will have um, some signage and information about how wind power works. And um, we really want to encourage schools to come along, have a look, yeah, and spread the word about, about what this new form of energy uh, is all about. Which for South Africa can only be a good thing. Jeffreys Bay wind farm right there in Jeffreys Bay where all the wind is that was called going with the wind put together by myself and Rob Parkin a technical producer and if you'd like to know a little bit more about Jeffreys Bay wind farm or if you find yourself down there go and have a look it's really really fascinating